0: A quick note before we kick off this podcast, Sam Magazine is celebrating 60 years of bringing the mountain resort industry the news, trends, and information needed to support operators through the next 60 years. Learn more and subscribe at www.saminfo.com slash subscribe.
1: Unless there's some sort of solution globally of of what's happening with Uh, inflation, the potential for recession, rate hikes, that sort of thing, I think that there's going to be a a problem personally when we start to look out 12, 18 months.
0: You have tuned into PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. Spring is fast approaching in many parts of the country, but before we put this winter to bed, let's unpack the season and look ahead to the next one. On this episode, we brought together industry leaders to reflect on the past year and share projections for the next one. Was the success of this past season a fluke facilitated by pent-up revenge travel demand? And can the industry sustain this model? We'll discuss these questions and more. We kick off the conversation here with Sam Publisher, Olivia Rowan.
2: I'm Olivia Rowan, publisher of SAM magazine, and joining me is SAM senior editor, Katie Britton. So before we get started with the panelists, uh, we're pleased to have NSA's president, Kelly Pollack, joining us. And we have all learned not to plan more than two to three weeks out. But Kelly, I can say and speak for the SAM team, we are excited to be in person in Nashville next uh, next month in May. So um, tell us a little bit about what's in store for us. <laughs>
3: Excellent. Um, yeah. And I'm going to get to that in just a second. Thank you so much, Sam Crew, for inviting me back. These huddles have provided really an, an extraordinary um, experience for NSAA. Please know that when you guys are talking, all that feedback, it's fueled so many discussions and content back here. So normally I would give that update and I am going to give a quick plug for the national convention. But after reading your agenda today, I really wanted to share my point of view when it comes to unpacking the season and looking forward. So um, to start off at NSAA, we've been really fortunate to travel around to dozens of your ski areas, not as many as you, Doug, but um, we've we've put in our travel miles um, during the pandemic. And thank you, thank you for all your hospitality hospitality and and this is basically what we've observed and learned over and over again when we visit your operations there are just so many similarities between ski areas but um even though like we're all sharing the same issues especially in the last two years we're always surprised to see the various and creative ways that you address and and tackle and solve those problems. And that reminds me that if we're going to find answers to some of the big um, challenges our industry faces, like we're gonna talk about today, capacity and workforce, I encourage us all to keep open minds and remember that our differences make us stronger. They enable our brands to thrive. And sometimes when I pull up to a ski area, and question, you know, why are they doing it that way? Usually after I hear your whys and I hear your story, I'm reminded not to judge until I've walked in your shoes. So um, that's just a little bit of what I've been observing while I've been out on the road. And I want you to know that a lot of today's discussion will continue some of that content at our national convention. it's going to be May 12th through the 15th in Nashville, Tennessee. So we hope you can make it.
2: Thank you. And I look forward to hearing from all of you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kelly. Um, so just to pick up on what she said they um, about, you know, it just sort of occurred to me over this weekend that because I was seeing all the anniversary reminders that this is also a, a two-year anniversary the launch of the huddle platform and this week actually um in 2020 this exact week in my little memories of facebook i spent the day at wachusett visiting jeff and carolyn and posted a picture of us all eating fish tacos and drinking corona beers and posted that on this time when we just weren't quite sure what was coming but oh how little we knew at that point so the following monday on march 24th we assembled 12 operators for our first ever huddle to address the impacts of this pandemic and on that first huddle, we had leaders from Vale, Altera, Boyne, and independent small areas, and medium areas. And that kicked off a unique time, I think in our history when we came together like never before. And um, you know, as I look back, all told we did 45 huddles and we've had over 250 panelists. And so I really just wanna take a quick moment to say a big thank you to all the operators in North America and our colleagues in the Southern hemisphere who shared on this platform in the past two years so that we could figure out how to move forward when there was no playbook for this. And to the supplier voices and experts, and we even had a couple of politicians and some leaders from other industries who also contributed Um, because we were all in it together. And so um, just a a big thank you and and a special thanks to Kelly, who has been here on nearly every single huddle so that our efforts were coordinated and they were of the most help to the broadest audience. So really appreciate um, Kelly being here and that that collaboration, so thanks all. Um, So let's get on to our huddle topic for today, reflections and projections on how did we do in 22 and what's in store for 23. Uh, We have a stellar group of panelists today to provide some insights on yet another surprising season. And we've tried to do what we've done with the past few years, which is to take our lessons learned and and look ahead and and, um, keep communicating while things are still rapidly evolving.
0: We shared two polls with our live huddle audience. Approximately how many skier visits will the industry tally up this season? And will your skier visit numbers be up? flat or down compared to last season. Check out the results on our Instagram at Sam Magazine.
4: I figured we'd do a little recap. Here's where we're at. Skiing has in some ways never been more affordable when you think about cheap season passes, for example, and in other ways, it's never been more expensive, skyrocketing room rates, travel costs, day tickets, uh, without capacity restrictions to dampen visitation. Many ski areas saw demand boom this year, staffing shortages and wild weather hit us early in the season, but nationally, unemployment is down. We saw some strong revenue and participation numbers over President's Day and March is also tracking strong. So we wanted to ask, you know, was the success of this season, 21-22, a fluke facilitated by pent up demand for revenge travel or can the industry sustain this model? If not, what comes next for season pass products, capacity management, labor challenges? We may be putting the pandemic behind us, but what do the current crises, inflation, war, housing mean for the industry going forward?
2: Our first guest is Tom Foley, who is Senior Vice President of Business Intelligence at Intopia and He's on the board of directors at Insights Collective. The collective, for those of you who don't know, started during the pandemic to help um, us stay ahead of the trends, and it was a tremendous resource, Tom. So thank you so much for you and the gang for for being consistently an important resource during the pandemic. Um, Tom, so I listened in on a recent lodging trend call, and um, nearly every property at A ski resort said their rates went up 20 to 30 percent this year, and they are probably going to raise them again next season because they said people are willing to pay. They said revenge travel, as Katie has noted, um, is coming on like a hot flash and sees no let up this summer and beyond. Does that match what you're seeing in reservations rate and revenue and what are the market forces you see driving driving this
5: uh you know the things that we're seeing this season are really um like so much else in the last two years we can use the word unprecedented or we've never seen it before we could say a million different things and, and we've all heard that uh but it has been an incredibly strong season for a couple of different reasons and one has to do from volume point of view of course with affordability as uh, as katie mentioned in her little overview you know there are some season passes out there that are incredibly affordable but the flip side of the coin and what we're studying Uh, regularly is really what's going on with supply costs, the costs from suppliers, whether it's for room rate or food and beverage or whatever it might be. And those rates really have gone up astronomically. Uh, The fact that we are managing to continue to grow occupancy in in pretty nice ways is actually a little bit shocking given the rates that are out there. Uh, Right now, this season is up 32% from where it was last year at this time. That's probably not too much of a surprise. But it's up six and a half from where the previous season was as of february twenty eighth. and that's that is a little bit of a surprise, given that that was pacing actually at the time to be our strongest ever uh, winter season. And four and a half versus pre-pandemic eighteen nineteen. So those are all really good growth numbers. the thirty two point eight is the outlier, obviously. But revenue uh, or rather room rate is is shockingly strong. thirty five percent over last year, twenty nine percent over two years ago, thirty two percent over, three years ago, Um, but that's starting to change a little bit too. So I think that I do expect that it's going to continue to grow. Consumers are obviously willing to spend the money to come to mountain resorts. The product is great. They enjoy it. There's pent up demand, but we also deal, and I've said this before, with a consumer that's really more affluent than the rest of the economy. Uh, They're less impacted by what's going on. They put a lot of savings in the bank from starting in February of 2020 and going on through some you know, several trillion dollars stuffed under people's mattresses just looking for a way to get spent. And the pent up demand is gonna take care of that to some extent. Uh, those folks that are less affluent and that are impacted more by some of the economic forces out there really aren't as much our core customer, though I think there's a conversation to have about that too as the industry looks to try to expand its customer base at a time when at least pre-pandemic numbers were going down as a participation rate and boomers were sort of starting to age out. So um, the season has been one of um, really remarkable numbers that we've seen. Probably the most notable has been that hidden amongst all that, um, COVID-19 has actually had an impact on bookings. You just don't see it as much. The short lead bookings actually go away anytime there's a surge in cases, but people then start booking further out laying a stronger than normal foundation for two, three, four months ahead, which helps us if there's any pullback during that two, three, four months ahead. And we're actually now seeing a really strong base laid for the rest of the uh, winter season. Uh, it's it's looking very good and large that, a large part of that is actually, uh, we have the December surge in Omicron, and January surge in Omicron, the bank. When bookings for arrival in December and January and February were very, very low, Relative to normal bookings, uh, but for March, April, we're actually really strong and on into summer as well. So, interesting things going on. Now we're seeing, of course, um, the effect of last year and the rollout of vaccines and what that's doing to the data. And so, we have to qualify things a little bit more. Last year in January and February, bookings went through the roof because it was such a, a, a strong release of that pent up demand. As vaccinations and the 65 plus group started to get vaccinated, and families started to get back together with grandparents, and they decided to travel somewhere other than an urban center, and the mountains were the perfect place to go. Uh, and so, as we start to do these comparisons, uh, we want to make sure that we're mindful around the data about all of these different variables that are kicking out there. Uh, but a great season, despite. Uh, a a surge in Omicron despite some negative press that's been uh, really uh, ubiquitous for about a month and a half, and maybe lackluster snow. Uh, I don't see the numbers changing significantly between now and the end of April, and a really strong win and what's likely to be an all-time record for the industry, not only in revenue because of those strong rates, but even in occupancy.
4: So Tom, it sounds like that short-term forecast, winter and even into summer, is really promising. But I heard you use the word shocking two or three times in there. <laughs> and, um, yeah. you know, that that shocking continued growth and people, the affluent gap seems to be growing, right? That wealth gap. But um, the, the people that have money are willing to spend it. So are we sitting on a bubble here? How long can the industry sustain these sort of uh shocking <laughs> this shocking yeah. growth of you know room rates and and things like I, that?
5: I, I think it I you know the the factors in play now in the economy are over and above inflation, which um it has been a real talking point. And I've been saying for long enough that eventually it was probably going to be right. But that that room rates are outpacing inflation by, you know, more than they can in a sustainable manner. When we look ahead right now to summer 2022, we're actually seeing that room rate is only up 6% versus summer last year at the same time. And so there is some normalization going on um, where we might be plateauing. Now, a 6% gain in room rate is still uh, anything that, uh, you know, a bookkeeper is going to be pretty happy to see that happen. Uh, but it is a dramatic change from what we've seen going on for the past 24 months, really. And so I do think that there is a top up going on. But there there are so many now new variables. Yeah, you know, I was I was having a conversation the other day with somebody, and we were talking about the eight or nine different things that we thought post pandemic or endemic stage was going to look like, and not one of them included a shooting war in Europe, right? <laughs> uh, and and that's just so far outside the realm of expectations, and it has so many economic impacts at home and abroad and with people who come into our country, uh, but as well, uh, just our cost of living. That I think there's going to be some downward pressure that's inescapable at some point. Uh, and, and maybe just, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you know, an exhaustion. Um, Bloomberg tells us that, that folks are literally exhausted from world crises Continual world crises. 87% of people have actually hit what they consider to be some version of a breaking point uh, in dealing with these things. And whether or not that translates to us, I don't know. I have to add to all that, though, is that um, our consumers in this industry are incredibly resilient. They've got very deep pockets and deep resources. They're incredibly passionate about what they do. And they have supported the industry through some pretty dark times um, with really the only Significant sustained drawback being in the wake of the Bear Stearns collapse and the re- and the recession in 2008 nine and even then the bounce back in occupancy was relatively quick it took a long time to get rate back um, so I I don't know how forceful the economic pressures are going to be or how how much they're going to force changes in rate um, it, within this industry at least it's just so hard to say right now. And with so, all that extra savings out there, maybe maybe cost doesn't matter to a yeah. lot of people.
2: And, and that's what I heard from those uh, on that call was that that cost did not seem to be an issue because the revenge travel oh. was so strong, the pent up demand. Do you think that the that the war will impact summer travel and tourism as as gas prices are already um had some record pricing and and do you think that that's do you think that's going to have an impact on summer travel and tourism
5: i i actually do um, but i think it's going to have it only on a certain segment of the traveler the mountain traveler during the summer is less affluent than during the winter and so that is relative to the two seasons we'll see a bigger impact happened on summer i think but i think we need to think about it beyond more than just gas prices because when fuel prices go up Everything goes up, and so the loaf of bread does as well. And, we, and, and you know just surviving and living day-to-day life starts to compete with what you do with those discretionary dollars. At the same time, the cost of operating a, 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 a restaurant or a bar or a lodging property, uh, or a lift, which uses power to get the mountain bikes up to the top of the lift during the summer, that's all going to go up as well. That all gets passed on at some point uh, through the energy sector and into the consumer economy. And so it's more than just gas that we need to think about. We need to think about the battle for the discretionary dollars, especially, again, amongst those less affluent travelers.
2: Great. Tom, that's awesome. and Let's move on to our next panelist, Katie.
4: Yeah, so next we're going to talk to Steve Wright, General Manager of JP. You were hit pretty hard the first year of COVID with a double whammy of strict Vermont travel guidelines and closed Canadian borders. And even as those domestic restrictions were lifted. There were still challenges with border crossings and things this winter. And we wanted to just get a picture from you of what the season looked like in terms of visitation, bookings, revenue, that kind of metrics you can share.
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, the the, um, <laughs> the border restrictions are, are still effectively uh in place right the, the the u.s border uh no problem for the canadians traveling in but for the canadians heading back into the country um, they now have to take an antigen test that has to be done at a at a clinic uh, and has to be done within 24 hours of arriving at the border so effectively wipes out um certainly all of our season pass holders this year which um 50 of our market is canadian we gave all that money back um, and uh wipes out just about any index of canadian visitation here with the exception of of those folks uh just coming in for the day um so that that's been a little bit of an issue but 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 bookings um you know lodging based bookings we've got you know about a thousand rooms here that that we rent um bookings have been fantastic certainly much better than we had uh budgeted for um the U.S. side of our of our uh, guest profile certainly made up for a, a bigger portion of of the missing Canadian segment than than what we had planned, um, and even on the passholder end, right, we gave back all of our season pass revenue. And typically, um, you know, five to somewhere between five and eight percent of our passholders on a on an annual basis are what we would consider new passholders. That being less than. Um, less than five years since they've had a pass at JP, that number uh, blossomed up to somewhere around twenty percent this year, which was shocking, uh, shocking to us. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if we can hold on to that uh, that growth. Certainly something uh, something's happening there. But um, and we've had operational challenges just like everybody else, right? We made uh, significant wage uh, increases across nearly every uh, category that we have here, uh, but on much less volume. Uh, we had, you know, 50% less employees, but the, you know, the cost of that labor only reduced by 20%. So it doesn't uh, doesn't take a math uh, major to really apply that once once volume returns, uh, what that's going to do to our our top line uh, wage numbers um, when we get back to fuller employment. Um, things are gonna get interesting around here. We've, had, we've recalibrated operations a little bit here to make up for the fact that we have fewer employees, but the amount of volume that we're starting to see is gonna prohibit us from keeping it recalibrated in the future. So once we expand hours and, and open up different restaurants and certainly bring back new staff, those uh, you know overall compensation is gonna really take a bite out, of, um, bite out of EBITDA here. We're gonna see that happen for sure. Um, but, you know, we're looking at summer business, um, is, is very strong. What we see on, on our books here, we'll do, you know, generally in a non pandemic year, we'll do a hundred, a uh, hundred weddings between May 1st and, and November 1st. That number reduced last year as low as I think it was around 20, just a little more than two dozen. And the number this year is already back to just about 70. So that number is really, really bounced. The conference business has followed that, uh, Has followed that as well. So, and even the retail business, really, that we see for golf and splash and stays, hockey tournaments, things like that, that all appears to be coming back with no uh, no hesitation about rate. You know, like like Tom said. You know, we we look at sort of uh, tailwinds and and headwinds here. The you know, if if we look at the tailwinds as whatever revenge travel means, uh, that that um, you know, Canada opening up fully and 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 uh, increased volumes uh, means that, that we're going to continue with fewer discounts, uh, increasing yields. That, that about covers it. The headwinds for us are, uh, are, are more concerning, you know, as Tom mentioned with the economy, the, you know, the Fed has already baked in six or seven rate hikes uh, over the course of the upcoming year. And that's going to be felt um, as it trickles down through into a, a consumer's wallet. There's almost no way that that's not going to, to impact folks. Um, inflation obviously is a, is out there, but, you know, there are people talking about a recession as well. Um, maybe, maybe not likely, but certainly if that happens, if we get to, to those numbers, uh, that, that changes everything as well. Uh, rising fuel costs as, as you guys have talked about, you know, it'll, it'll, um, you know, the impact, certainly the destination markets more as we get into next winter, there may be a short term game for a place like Jay Peak that where, you know, the Canadian border opens, we've got 6 million people um, two hours away, folks may decide to stay more local, Um, we may see some of that share. Um, But I think, you know, the optic that ski vacations and skiing is is painful uh, for any number of either fair or unfair reasons is a real, uh, headwind for us, and and we're going to have to figure out a way to to message through that. You I know, mean, you know, one of the other things I was talking about this morning with a few folks here is that is the reality that, as Tom mentioned, you know, we were between, you know, 2000, what was it, 12 and, and and 18 or so. You know, the industry was flattish, and you know, we come into the pandemic, everything recalibrates, and all of a sudden, volumes an issue everywhere right and during that during that time frame the entire industry for the last two years has effectively stopped marketing right the first year of the pandemic it was the travel markets are frozen why the hell am i bothering marketing to these people and we get into into this year and it's well i can't fit any more people on my campus anyway why am i marketing to people all the while our pnls are looking fantastic because every single marketing dollar we don't spend flows right to the bottom. Uh, and you could be, you know, sort of led into a false sense of security that, you know, this volume is always going to be here. So so what happens to the ski industry when effectively for the past two years, we haven't been inviting people to come visit? And obviously it's a little bit hyperbolic, but for the, you know, take a look at all of our P&Ls. I can guarantee you that we haven't been spending market, marketing dollars the way that we have. Uh, you know in 18 and 19 so that'll be it'll be interesting to see what impact that has on us uh, long term that's the that's one of the things that's sort of a head scratcher for me
2: yeah I think you, you know you you nailed a lot of really important um reasons why we're on the call which is you know we have this as we saw in the poll 47 percent um are up of operators on this call and that's you know they're enjoying a tremendous boost in volume um and probably those that aren't up on volume are up on on rates. so um it does beg the question with all those other tail and headwinds of um not doing the marketing reducing all those entry points when we we heard on many calls we had a lot of products and we reduced them down to you know a handful of products um so all those discounted products. so that access and entry if without the marketing in, and with um, you, you know you t- you touched on a lot of that 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 volume that we're in right now and then are we in a bubble I, is this sustainable is this is this volume and demand how long do you think this is going to go on and and what what are we going to lose in the process
1: Wait do I have to answer that one Kind of yeah. yeah um i think i think that you know if you make some base assumptions the way tom had said that this uh, this war is going to continue on longer uh, than maybe uh, than many folks think, uh, and that will continue to pull at inflation, continue to to cause supply problems, continue to to cause fuel to rise um, and shortages everywhere. I think that I think that volume will put, will become an issue for for many resorts and many hospitality uh, based businesses. Uh, when, the, when the bloom sort of comes off of this rose as we get through this summer cycle and into, into next winter. We're certainly here um, are planning on another winter of, of, uh, of kind of positive net impact because Canada is going to be available, right? We're sold out every weekend right now, and I have no Canadians here whatsoever. It's a lower yielding segment, so we're going to have to make sense of what we do with that once they do return. But I think as you get further out from that, unless there's some sort of solution globally of, of what's happening with uh, inflation the potential for recession rate hikes that sort of thing I think that there's going to be a, a, a problem personally when we start to look out 12 18 months
4: it sounds like next season you're you're expecting another strong season in terms of demand and I know that um <laughs> there's this balancing act of what's coming in the immediate sort of next season next couple of months and what you're looking at 18 months. From now which is hard to predict but you jay just launched its season pass sale a few weeks ago right and are you seeing uh evidence of that continued demand in those sales have you changed your products at all i know you also just re-upped with indy we're going to talk to doug fish next but um are, are you seeing any changes in the buying or that kind of thing related to either of these kind of questions
1: yeah m- most of the canadians have simply uh sort of kick the can down the road and have since, you know, uh, since, um, uh, two years ago, since things started on the U S side, it's still, we're still early in the cycle to really make too many, uh, too many assumptions based off of the volume that we're seeing on a, on a year over year and, um, and a comp versus FY 19, uh, we're up, uh, with passes so far through the first couple of weeks, there's a fair index of those people that are new. So I, I think we're going to still s- but we're going to still be okay as we get into next winter. As I said before, it's the it's the following winters that uh, the following winter specifically that, that has me a little bit concerned right now. But we've got enough to worry about right now to not uh, not let that freak us out too much.
2: Sure. All right. Thanks, Steve, so much. Let's move on to Doug Fish, who's the founder of the Indie Pass. Thanks for joining us, Doug. Doug, you've been very busy this past year. Uh, I look back at our headline news reports, and back in June, you reported 68 resorts, and since then, you've added 14 resorts, bringing you to 80 80- Indie Pass Resorts. And in 2019, when you launched, your product was 199 and now it sells for 279 So I know you've been gathering some metrics this past week for us. So let's have a peek at those. And then um, we might have some follow-up questions.
0: Doug shared a presentation with the metrics for Indie Pass. If you'd like to check it out, head to saminfo.com slash huddle to view and download.
6: Thank you, Olivia, for having me on again. It's great. And um, for the most part, it's been a a really good season for the IndyPass and for our partner resorts. Uh, Just a quick plug for uh, Sunlight in Colorado. They're our latest resort. Um, I've got a bunch of numbers for you today. So IndyPass sales, um, our revenue is just about double, about 95%. And our unit sales are up 35%. And that's as a result of a uh, pretty significant price increase last year. We needed to kind of get our yields in in line, and uh, that's uh, that's what we've seen happening. Uh, we know that 15% of our pass holders have another multi mountain pass. Seven <clears> percent <throat> of our pass holders have a season pass from one of our indie resorts, and uh, another 10% have a season pass or a frequency pass from a non indie resort. So. About 32% of our pass holders, a third of our pass holders, use the Indy Pass as a supplemental pass uh, or as a secondary pass to their to their primary pass. We think. Talking about visitation, our redemptions are up 44%. Our average utilization on the pass is flat from last year. Uh, obviously, we still have some ways to go. Our season goes through April. And uh, March has started off uh, pretty strong, but uh, we're still, I think we'll be in line with last year's numbers in terms of our utilization. Um, an interesting stat that has remained consistent for the three years that we've, we've been around, 82% of our pass holders so far this year have visited a, uh, one of our resorts for the first time. So we are introducing our, our pass holders to new experiences and new resorts. And, and that's part of our, our game plan and our mission. <clears throat> um, at the same time, about 85% of our pass holders used their pass or stayed overnight, at least one night um, uh, using their pass. And you know, to Tom's point about, Uh, hospitality being so strong right now, our people are definitely traveling and uh, visiting uh, resorts outside their local areas. 34% of our our resorts are reporting that their uh, visitation is up, while over 50% are down from last year. Uh, Past utilization, Uh, Season pass utilization, 44% up, 34% down, and uh, 22% of our resorts don't have RFID or or accurate tracking, so uh, uh, not able to report on that stat. Uh, Visitation may be uh, down. Revenue is up or flat at 78% of our resorts. 6% are still waiting for the end of the season to uh, determine that, but only 16% are uh, reporting revenue decreases from last year, and most of those that I've talked to anecdotally uh, uh, attribute uh, poor weather. We've had you know marginal weather across the country at, at, at various times of the year, and uh, some areas in particular have been hit pretty hard. So um, that's uh, where things are at with revenue. And lastly, uh, for the first time this year, we did a, a survey of all of our pass holders when they purchase uh, to get to establish a baseline for ethnicity. Our goal is to uh, diversify our pass holder base as much as possible as we move forward. So, in order to determine where we're at, we asked everyone, you know, uh, what uh, what uh, ethnic uh, category they fall into. And uh, con- fairly consistent with with the industry, about six percent um, uh, showed up as as um, uh, bipoc, twenty uh, percent uh, didn't want to answer the question, and uh, I think that's fairly consistent with with other surveys. But uh, uh, this gives us uh, a starting point, and we look forward to building on those numbers.
2: A lot of interesting things there, and and I don't have time to completely fully process, but I did note that. Um, in our little poll, 47% were up. Um, our numbers de- definitely didn't match interestingly your indie pass customers as far as visitation but then they seemed to crush it on the on the revenue side so um, that was right. that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you mentioned um, the, that w- it looks like the the pass, achieves its goals of int- introducing skiers to new areas. And since more than 80% use the pass to visit, um, a new to them type resort, um, that's pretty significant data that you have there and do any of these new visitors become regulars and buy the resort past, do you see, do you track that to see, um, after that introduction?
6: That's a little harder to track and we haven't surveyed pass holders, um, um, as to what you know what they do, but anecdotally, we hear from our our resorts that many of our guests become regulars or you know uh, repeat visitors. Um, but uh, it's hard to uh, produce hard data for that.
2: Yeah, and interesting, two thirds of the Indy Pass holders do not own another pass. That's, that's correct. Right. Yeah. So that,
6: that's our primary target.
4: Doug, we talked a couple months ago about the density equation you're using, and it sounds like um, while 32% use the pass as supplemental, the vast majority are still the casual skier, right? They're using a handful of indie Days, uh, but with 80 odd ski areas. As past partners, now I'm just wondering what the density strategy is going forward. Where are you sort of maxed out on partners? Where are you looking to add? Um, what's sort of Indy's plan? Had looking at next season.
6: Well, uh, we are tracking very carefully um, the usage patterns from our pass holders. You know, some of our pass holders. Uh, ski 20, 30 days, and many of them ski far less. Uh, the average obviously makes makes the program work. Um, about uh, 50% of our sales are in the Northeast and uh, 50% of our redemptions are in the Northeast, where we have uh, high density, where a lot of people live, uh, where a lot of skiers live. And um, <clears throat> we still think there's, there's room for... Uh, some minor tweaks in the Northeast in terms of additions. Uh, we're looking at Pennsylvania. Uh, we're looking at Maine and, um, uh, for, but for the most part, New England is, is pretty well set. Uh, certainly the West is a, a much bigger, broader uh, region uh, with a lot more distance between resorts. Um, but, um, and and we, we still have uh, plenty of room to grow in, in those regions and uh, we plan to do so. Awesome.
4: Interesting. And Doug, you, um, you've you launched a new product this year, right? Your switch product. And obviously that, that casual skier, the person who's using the indie a handful of days versus the skier that's using it 20 or 30 days mm-hmm. um, a season is, is the core, but do you anticipate that shifting as you create new incentives? Are you, Still focused on that core, uh, or on that casual market.
6: Yes, it. it, We're after day ticket buyers. That's our primary market. However, uh, uh, we are seeing, you know, consistently year after year, um, a pretty a a pretty good amount of people buying the indie pass as a supplement to the epic or the icon or the uh, mountain collective pass. And you know, we believe that a large percentage of the skiing population are not aware of all the great smaller resorts that exist across the country. And, uh, you know, we'd like a lot of those folks to come check it out and see what it's all about. That's why we created the Switch Pass. It's a small incentive, but uh, more than anything, I think it, it helps us uh, maybe get a little bit of uh, exposure to those folks. And uh, we invite them to come check out Uh, what a great experience they can have at a smaller, less crowded uh, ski area.
2: Great. Thanks, Doug, for sharing and pulling all that stuff together for us. And on short notice, I appreciate that. We're going to move to our next uh, panelist, who is Jesse True, who is the marketing director at A-Base in Colorado. And he is also a member of the Insights (coughs) Think Tank. So Jesse, thanks for joining us. Um, Jesse, you're an independent operator surrounded by some big destination resorts in a hotbed of headlines this season and uh, the optics out of colorado were shall we say n- noteworthy and um, from your point of view how did the headlines of crowding and parking and long lift lines uh, impact or positively or negatively um from where yeah. from where you guys were
7: Well, Olivia, thank you for the invite to to speak and thank you for having these huddles. I think they're a really good way to share information. Um, And I can't help but not uh, mention on March 14th, 2020, the governor of Colorado shut down uh, ski areas in the state. So March 14th is a pretty big anniversary around here. We closed the resort, Resort. this particular resort, we opened back up in May, but I think we were the only one. So it was a big day. Um, and yes, um, our neighborhood has been um, very popular uh, with lots of headlines, both good and bad. Um, as probably most of you know, we entered this season with a strategy not knowing that uh, Bale was going to decrease prices and sell a whole bunch more tickets uh, and passes uh, in a way that we restricted the number of season passes that we sold and the number of day tickets we sold uh, and made everything go online and in advance. So. Um, half out of luck, half out of, um, we thought it was the right thing to do for skiing. Um, we've been very, very successful this year, um, in driving the right kind of skiing experience that we have in mind for our skiers and riders. Um, we do not control a single bed. Um, so with my insights collective hat on, I listen closely to Tom's, uh, calls and information, uh, read his reports because I think it's really important when you don't control a single bed and therefore rate um, we have to work with our partners in order to get people to come up here and ski. Uh, the reality is we're a day visitation, uh, ski resort um, heavily dependent upon the Denver front range from Boulder to really Fort Collins down to Colorado Springs. Um, so things have gone very well here. Um, we have, um, I, you know, I'm sure everybody on the call um, has followed uh, Epic Lift Lines and others um, that have showed sort of what's going on in our neighborhood, whether it be Lift Lines in Breck or whether it be Lift Lines in Vale or Beaver Creek or elsewhere uh, around their particular, um, their company. And I have to say, um, while certainly we smiled uh, because it played right into our hands um, and people have... Um, jumped on the bandwagon big um, here. We just started season pass sales uh, and we're very, very, very early. Uh, that we, we went on sale on Thursday, but we're more than 30% up over same time last year. Uh, last year, people were pretty excited about this whole concept of re- the reduction of number uh, and selling out at a certain time timeframe. Um, so things are going very well for a Basin. But I think like Steve said, the thing that has me sort of scratching my head or worrying is, but I think this is sort of a short-term run for us, um, and maybe it's not next winter; it's the following uh, that becomes a problem. At some point, the ski experience is um, out of reach for some, um, and we play uh, certainly in the skier realm. But I wouldn't say that you know we're not on the uh, top tier of uh, vacation destinations. So we're sort of in the you know middle class of ski areas, and we are dependent upon those people who still. Um, you know, brown bag and do those sorts of things. Although that's even here is being reduced. Um, yield is way up uh, as a revenue per skier or visit um, metric and, or just ETP. Um, you can all see that if you follow our website or, or just go have a look uh, day ticket is $189 at Arapaho basin. That's a um, it's just shocker for some of my coworkers who've been here a long time. Um, but you know, it's, I think in line with the rest of our, uh, of our set, we, um, we, it would be disingenuous of me to say that we didn't take advantage of the position that we are in. That's sort of my job. Um, And so as um, lift lines and things pop up, we were certainly pushing a no lift lines, uh, ski more weight less message. Um, And so things, overall in the short run are good, but I do think that there are clouds forming with regards to this industry. Um, Doug mentioned uh, diversity, that's certainly an issue. We know we've talked about that at an NSAA level for a very long time, Um, but we're trying to make inroads and try to do something about that with our Denver communities. Um, And so, you know, I sort of feel fortunate to sit where I sit today, Um, but it is not always. an easy place to be in the long run. Um, Summit County, Colorado, where A-Basin is, is also sort of a, a more affordable destination than some of its neighbor, neighbors in Eagle, Pitkin, uh, even in Route County. Uh, and so that's, we are surrounded by um, sort of favorable uh, winds around us. Uh, and so, I, you know, as I look at it, I'm excited for the next couple of years, but worry definitely about the, uh, the next sort of set and generation of steers.
2: And so you, you talk, you're, you're having a good, maybe even a, a great season capacity was controlled revenue and visitation up season pass sales are 30% up. Um and you're echoing a sentiment that we keep hearing, which is it looks great for the next year or two, but there's grave concern over, you know, whether this can be sustained with the, other headwinds out there and and the platforms that we were making good traction on and COVID hit. And I think someone who I said, well, there's been no marketing. Steve said there's been no marketing. So, you know, at some point, the impacts of the two years um, and getting beyond this pent up demand, what happens then? And that's kind of the purpose of having this chat now is try out get it out ahead. But you said You're something not... You said something to me. You said, controlling the experience of skiing is the new target. Um,
7: It's the new growth target. In my mind, you and I have also talked a little bit about this sort of, uh, I need a better word, but the renaissance of small and medium-sized ski areas um, where, you know, places like A-Basin, Loveland, Eldora, Monarch, I'm just using my neighborhood, as examples, are really flourishing. They're doing very, very well, um, and you know, people aren't necessarily or hadn't um, during the pandemic era um, traveled as much. I think um, protecting the guest experience is our new growth opportunity. Um, Rapaho Basin specifically uh, is poised for a, a, a really good few years, um, and you know, it could be five, it could be more. Um, but as uh, people um, defect from Epic and even Icon. They're looking for places that are controlling um, overall visitation numbers. And we happen to be doing that. And we happen to be in a very, very busy place. a County will do somewhere north of 4 million visits um, this year. Um, so we're surrounded by volume. Uh, and when we can say that we've got that, and then we can prove that experience really does matter and that we are when we are parked out uh, there's still no lift lines to be had and so we we are in a sort of lucky position um but you know i do think that the small and medium uh ski areas do need to start thinking about the the future when marketing dollars come back at a larger uh way in other of our competitors i always say that you know my competitors can add a zero to their marketing budget very very easy and i would get drowned out very simply um, and so I think there is some concern, uh, you know, we talk about at the Insights Collective a ton about what the overall experience level is going to be and how are we going to, you know, clean bathrooms in my case and make sure the food and beverage is served uh, quickly and efficiently and with a smile and all of those sorts of things. Ski school for us has uh, been a challenge this year, which is unusual, at least for my neighbors uh, and friends and family that I've got around the, the, the industry. Um, certainly food and beverages too, but we've had a number of returners and we sort of have the benefit of loyalty here at the basin. So, um, I think there are lots of really good, uh, signs for this particular resort and some concerns for the industry.
2: Okay. Thank you, Jesse, for sharing. Appreciate that. We asked Alex Kaufman to join us in the huddle today, and while he is no longer in a formal role in the industry, he previously worked in sales and marketing communications at several resorts and has been a podcaster since then for the Wintry Mix. A year ago, Alex forecasted capacity trouble ahead when Vail announced a 20% drop on a season pass. His belief that this spelled an impending demand management issue led him to buy EpicLiftLines.com, and we all watched that story unfold, so we're not here to rehash that. Um, But Alex showed his persistence, uh, well, his foresight a year ago um, with his forecasting, and he's had a front row seat to guest and employee frustrations this season. So now we're asking him to use those insights to look ahead. So we have a few questions for you, Alex. Um, Katie, I'm going to toss to you to start us off.
4: Sure. So, Alex, um, you recently put out a 10-minute quick podcast uh, that was essentially a call to action for a health no sports industry. Focus was on Vail Resorts, but as you've watched this season unfold, you have some takeaways that apply to all operators looking ahead to 2022 and 23. And I think demand management is the perfect place to start. As we've heard on this call, you know, while volume has been a major news story, it's not a given, right? And there's concern there. And I'm I'm curious. You had some some great analogies and things to share, and a, an interesting way of looking at how we might approach demand management going forward.
8: Yeah, and uh, thanks, Katie. Um, and sixty percent of you have probably already heard this podcast. I went through and looked at the at the lineup of names, and I know that at least half of the group has already heard this. The other half can check it out. Wintry Mix podcast. It's been dormant for a year, but ten minutes there on top. Um, but as Katie said, very much about um, demand management. And, you know, what we saw over the last year, um, obviously, every resort experience does experiences is this issue very differently. Um, had a few analogies, one about sports teams and selling, you know, the seats in the stadium, but not unlimited selling and then letting people fight over the seats in the stadium or the parking spots or the roads to get there. Um, same kind of thing around golf. Uh, the re- there's a reason golf doesn't sell unlimited golf. They sell tee times um, because if you only sold unlimited golf, Um, people would show up on Saturday mornings to play golf and that wouldn't work very well for selling their resource effectively and responsibly. Um, so definitely dig into that podcast for a lot more on those two topics. Um, I think that, you know, one of the key takeaways and recommendations, um, that is kind of what I've distilled down from the fire hose of information that was coming at me, um, while I was admin of that thing, I haven't been since December 28th, thankfully it's crazy. Um, was keeping some tools in the toolbox. There's been a pendulum swing, as we all know, that kind of timed up with the Epic Pass um, and timed up with, with mega passes in general to simplify your product mix, encourage people into season passes. And that pendulum swung very far that direction. And we went from having too many products. We all know when we had product Palooza, you know, carload Thursdays and bring a coupon and do this, and too many things to, to count. And then we went from having 40 different ways to get skiers there to only buy these two um, that maybe swing that pendulum back. So you have some tools you can use mid-season instead of, oh my gosh, we miscalculated in March. We have no more tools that we can use and we've got to just weather this storm um, and there's very little we can do about it. So there, were, there used to be 40 products, there became two. Uh, there may be some value now in having eight, nine, 10 and a few tools left in the toolbox so that you can adjust and react quicker throughout the season. As opposed to just kind of being stuck with what you thought in March, the war could change, inflation could change, demand could change, COVID could change. Um, sell a lot of season passes. It's great to insulate your business, uh, but leave a few tools in the toolbox.
2: And and how do you think um, what went down um, this past the past two years really has impacted trial and access? I mean, you talked about the limiting of those products that may have been one way. Um, what about the optics that we've seen? And, and do you think we've had a setback on that front?
8: I really kind of cringe when I see the words accessibility and inclusivity used as buzz, buzzwords in the industry. Um, I think those words have been hijacked a little bit. Um, this industry has relied for a, as long as I've been alive until a few years ago on the mid Atlantic and Midwest churning out new skiers, Th- that these resorts were, had their North Star, had their main incentive to serve their local communities and build skiers. Um, they were just Wachusett's as far as the eye could see, across the, the Mid-Atlantic and the Midwest, running as many hours as they could in the day, uh, welcoming sc- uh, school buses full of kids to do whatever they wanted, because they needed to build skiers in their local community to be effective. That was their North Star from Minnesota to Ohio, to Missouri, to Pennsylvania, North, whatever, small, medium, mid-Atlantic and Midwest. But in the last few years, a good percentage of those ski areas, their incentives have changed. It's just a business reality. Um, And now we don't know what that result is going to be. We know that timed up with COVID. So it's hard to judge, you know, whatever's gone on in the last two years. But I think accessibility and inclusivity when viewed through that prism is the biggest threat. I warned people three weeks before the COVID shutdowns that the COVID shutdowns were coming. I warned people a year ahead of the epic pass that this is not really going to work, guys. Um, And now what keeps me up at night for your industry that I'm not in anymore, so I get to say what I think, um, is that the Midwest and the Mid-Atlantic has been creating skiers for this industry long-term because they're near the people and it's easy to do them. But now a larger percentage of them all of a sudden are more of an automated market capturing device. That's scary. Um, hopefully they don't get treated that way, but we gotta make a judgment on what's gonna happen. So I would recommend that people on this call, maybe make like you know different cities in Europe and America, like a sister city, get a sister feeder feeder resort and support them, help them. This, this call, the people on this call need to figure out how to support those mid-Atlantic, Midwest feeder resorts um, as much as possible, long term, because that is where the breeding of new skiers needs to occur for the decades to come. People are worried about not year one or year two, they're worried about three to 30. I'd be worried about it too, when I've seen that the, a bigger chunk of the Midwest and, and mid-Atlantic feeder resorts now may have a different North Star.
2: That's, that's thank you, that's, that's a good, there's some good information in there for us to unpack. Um, and with with one minute we have left here, um, you obviously were um, receiving a lot of um, employee e- emails. Um, and you know, if there's without you know personalizing this, just take a theme from this of what you think um, was a general theme with what you were hearing from from our employees in the industry. And and um, yeah, what, what was a the theme?
8: I mean. Everybody handles this differently. Some resorts are ahead of the curve. Some resorts are behind the curve. But what came out of the fire hose at me is that resorts where staff felt appreciated and heard, uh, weathered the, the COVID and weathered the, the lack of staffing that, that was even able to be hired You know, much, much better. Do the little things to make your staff feel heard um, and you will weather the coming storms that much better. You still may be short-staffed um, but they are the tip of the sword. If there's negative sentiment, they're dealing with it first and it's they become empowered. They can organize with them or without unions and I'm paying more in payroll across all my affordable housing that I, that I do with is my career now. Um, it's just the reality that give them everything you can give them aside from payroll. I save money on my payroll by respecting them, talking to them every two weeks, asking them for their input. That keeps them employed with me, makes them feel proud to be on my team without necessarily me having to overpay them to keep them. Um, Getting new people um, is very difficult. The more you can keep your seasonal people, the better off you're going to be. Staffing from scratch every year is just going to get harder and harder um, because they've got the power now. Mm
5: -hmm. And
8: if they don't like where they work and they feel disrespected or they feel like it's just swimming up up against the current, um, that's going to trickle down through your entire operation.
0: What will next season hold? Only time will tell. Stay on top of the latest and support this podcast when you subscribe to Sam Magazine at www.saminfo.com slash subscribe. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSAM advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintry Mix podcast Guide. I am Sarah Bordeev and thank you for listening to PodSAM.